Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, church. It is uh, a joy to be up here and uh, hearing you guys sing behind me. It's good. Uh, our topic this morning, when we first started talking about this as a church staff, uh, it was general and for everybody, and, and that, is, that is still true. We're, we're talking about it this morning because it is something that we believe uh, all of us uh, could learn more about. It did, for me, become very personal very quickly because the day after we started this discussion, uh, I got a text from my wife that I have gotten before but it's never fun to get. Hey, just so you know, I'm okay, but we're on lockdown. My wife teaches at Kelso High, and I uh, suppose a week and a half ago now, they had an afternoon where they had to lock down, where the police came in, went room to room, all of those kinds of things. Again, not the first time I've received this text, but never fun. And this time was different, because this was the first time that I have had a 13-year-old across the parking lot, where I knew then she was also on lockdown. So instead of just being one of the dozens of concerned staff spouses, I was now one of the thousands of concerned and worried parents and guardians. Now, I think I have good reason to trust Kelso School District and our local law enforcement to take care of things, and, and imperfectly perhaps, but, but to take care of things and to keep my family safe as best they can, and uh, that certainly proved to be true. But still, I, I worried. And the question is, what do I do with my worry? When that anxiety rises up in me, what, what do I do with it? And I think in the 21st century, we are being collectively taught as a society a primary way to deal with our anxiety. That society is presenting us with an anxiety antidote that we are all supposed to turn to. And it's this. We're being taught that more information is the anxiety antidote. The more information is the anxiety antidote. If I could just know more. In a situation with so many unknowns, we think, oh, if I just knew this. If, if I just knew that they're going to be okay, if I knew what was happening in the moment, if I knew the cause, if I knew who to blame, then, then I would be okay. And so in this particular situation, worried parents start calling the school, start showing up at the school, even though everything we receive says, whatever you do, don't show up at the school. So parents, whatever you do, don't show up at the school. Hopping on Facebook, asking around, does anybody know what's going on? Has anybody heard? Teenagers are texting each other, hey, are you okay? Hey, do you know what's going on? Rumors are launched into cyberspace, and absolutely none of it helps. Even the truth sometimes isn't particularly helpful. Knowing that police were going room to room with guns drawn did not initially make me feel better. 
knowing eventually that the police were clearing rooms, that they had determined there was no actual threat, that they had things under control and were simply getting people out, that made me feel better. But that involved the right information from the right source at the right time. And that's something that I couldn't have created. That was something I had to wait for. And when we're anxious and worried, waiting and being patient is not real high on our to-do list. We live in an information-addicted age. If I could just know the dirt on every candidate, then I would get all my votes right. If I could just know that someone has it worse off than me, then I wouldn't be so depressed. If I could just know what they out there are hiding, if I could know all the answers, if I could know who to blame, if I could know that my kids won't get hurt, then I would be okay. If you track either thinking backwards or maybe this is an exercise for you over the next couple of weeks, if you track the times that you feel that way, well, if I just knew, when you find out whatever information you thought you needed, my guess is that 90% of the time, like nine out of every 10 times, it's not actually helpful. We have more information access today than we have ever had in human history. We have an information superhighway. And yet, statistically, we are more anxious than we have ever been in human history. Having more information does not appear to be the answer. In the spring of 2020, our collective anxiety as a society hit a fever pitch. We worried about a silent assassin or about government overreach. We worried about racial injustice or our way of life being turned upside down. And we wanted to know that we were safe from whatever or whomever we were afraid of. We wanted to know who was right who had what agenda, how we could fight, how we could outsmart the wrong happening around us. So think back, if, if you dare. My daughter, I told her I was gonna ask this question. She said she was glad she was gonna be downstairs with the preschoolers because she didn't wanna think back to 2020. But if you dare, think back to how you were feeling spring and summer of 2020. How often did the news or the internet make you feel better? <laughs> yes, um, it didn't, <laughs> ever. If anything, at best, it just shifted us from one fear to another. At the time, I noticed this verse popping up some on Facebook from uh, Christian friends I have. And, and it's a great verse. And it's 1 Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Or you may have memorized it in some different language. I didn't realize I had memorized it at all, let alone in a different language. So I went to read it and went, well, that doesn't sound right. Because what I learned is cast all your cares upon God for he cares for you. 
Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. In other words, at the time, in the midst of 2020, we're all so anxious, but we wouldn't be if we just gave our anxieties to God. The implication being that because he cares, he will take all our anxieties away. And that sounds so good. But in my cynicism, and to be honest, my cynicism was at a fever pitch as well in the middle of 2020. And in my cynicism, this just sounds a little pithy. It sounds too easy to say, I know your world is falling apart, but if you just give all your cares to God, then it won't feel that way anymore. This verse comes at the end of 1 Peter, this letter that we've been journeying through this fall as we talk about being everyday people following Jesus every day. And like many letters in the New Testament, Peter is wrapping up his letters with some pastoral advice, some some wisdom for the people he is writing to. And right smack in the middle of that advice, right before he signs off, is this first, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. How did Peter come to this conclusion? What, what problem does he think this advice addresses? And how is this advice part of how we follow Jesus every day? To help us answer those things, I want to kind of take the runway up to uh, this verse. If, if we're landing the plane today at the end of First Peter, we're going to kind of back up a little bit and take the runway. And like a terrible pilot, I'm going to bounce us along this runway as we pop through some verses in, in First Peter. So uh, hang on tight, and here we go. We're going to start uh, in First Peter chapter 2, where we actually started the very first week, and Sky touched on this verse Uh, a couple of weeks ago because it is the crux, the core message of this letter from Peter. So this starts in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. In other words, Jesus is our example. And we are invited to participate in the greatness of Christ by accepting God's forgiveness and by following the example of Jesus. We're invited to share in the greatness of Christ by following the example of Christ. As I read at the end of last week, this quote from Ignatius of Antioch, just a few decades after Jesus's death and resurrection, he said, Christianity is not a matter of persuading people of particular ideas, but of inviting them to share in the greatness of Christ. Now, obviously he didn't say it in English, we're translating it, but you get the idea. Christianity is not a matter of persuading people of particular ideas, but of inviting them to share in the greatness of Christ. 
It is not about an obsession with information. It is about an invitation to follow in his steps. So our next touchdown on this runway is 1 Peter chapter 4, the very first verse. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. In other words, Peter is saying that Christ suffered and Christ is our example. Therefore, we should expect to suffer too. Woo! Uh, yeah. Not the cheeriest verse in Scripture or the most comforting, uh, but not the most depressing verse in Scripture either, in, in my opinion, partly because or mostly because of the reasons Peter gives, because the reasons are so good that enduring hardship, going through hard things, means that we're finished with sin and done chasing our own desires. That the grip of sin in our life, the grip of our desires first, is loosened and relinquished. That enduring hardship changes our desires and our drives. It changes our motivation. It changes the very things that we want. Now, I won't try to tell you your desires because there's a lot of you and there's probably a lot of different desires. So I will tell you mine. At the top of my list of desires in this life is that I don't want to suffer ever. <laughs> like for any reason... And I have a fairly low threshold, I think, for what I consider suffering. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want it to be awkward. I don't want to sound dumb. I don't want to be in any amount of pain for any reason. I don't want to suffer. And I want to believe, I would like to believe, that if God really cared about me, that he would make sure, because he has the power to do so, that I would never hurt or suffer ever. That if he really cared, he would just make sure that I didn't have any problems. Kind of like if I really care about my kids, I will make sure that they have whatever they want, whenever they want it, and they don't ever run into any problems. No, that's terrible parenting. If you're doing that, please stop. No offense. Um, but no, if I love my kids, I will discipline and I will correct and I will withhold things when it's appropriate to do that. Apparently, if you're grandparents, none of those rules apply. But parenting, <laughs> discipline, correct, withhold occasionally. Grandparents maybe withhold occasionally, just every once in a while for the parents' sake. Maybe. Anyway, okay. It's a different story. Number two on my list uh, of desires, right after I don't want to suffer ever, is I want everybody to like me all the time, all the time. 
That, that everybody in my family, that all of you, that everybody on the internet would like me all the time. I, I certainly am not interested in people slandering me or talking badly about me. Now, some of you, uh, I'm aware, don't care if people don't like you. And you scare me a little bit, but I'm jealous. <laughs> because I've done a lot of stupid things in my life out of a desire to get people to like me to avoid anybody saying anything bad about me. And, and yet Peter says that that's part of following in the example of Jesus. The problem is that easy streets and always liked boulevard are roads that lead us away from Jesus. Because at some point in following Jesus every day, we're going to have to choose. Are we going to follow easy every day? Are we going to follow being liked every day or are we going to follow Jesus every day? And as we follow Jesus every day, we may not be popular and it may cost us some things. Frankly, this is probably all the more true as Christianity loses prestige in our culture. But we may lose out on a friendship or a relationship. We may lose out on a promotion or a job we may lose out on an inheritance. These are very real costs that we may have to pay, that believers around the world pay every day, if not so much worse. And we get really, really anxious about that, that there would be a cost I might have to pay because somebody might not like me for my faith, because my faith may not be held in esteem in our culture. And yet Peter says that it's actually a good thing because this is part of how we share in what Ignatius calls the greatness of Christ. This is how our desires are formed for the eternal good and not temporary comfort. So let's touch down a couple verses later. This is 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Hey, just for the record, we believe this too, that Jesus is coming soon, that he could come at any moment. And that would be, that would be like any moment, Jesus would be lovely. Anyway, any moment, Jesus could show up. And so we want to be, right. some of you are like, boy, I hope he comes before the sermon is, this is getting long. Anyway, <laughs> Yeah, he might. Keep praying. I'd be cool with that. That'd be great. <laughs> so we want to participate in what Jesus is doing. We want to be disciplined and earnest in our prayers. We want to be focused upon him. And we'll start talking more about prayer next week. But, but Peter is clear in this letter, that we don't just lock ourselves away in our prayer closets and wait for the return of the Lord. He continues in verse eight. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And then he goes on to list a couple of gifts, uh, speaking out, 
serving others. Maybe for you, your gift is hosting someone, listening well, making somebody feel seen in some way. Now, (laughs) what do gifts have to do with suffering and anxiety? Because Peter hasn't moved yet into his, I'm just going to give a random splattering of advice as I sign off here. He's drawing a line from suffering through these prayers and gifts that God has given us. When we suffer, our greatest desire is often to retaliate, to make sure that somebody else is hurting too especially when we feel like we have somebody to blame for our hurting. See all of political campaigns right now. It's their fault your life isn't what you want it to be. Make them suffer. Our desire is to retaliate. And let's be honest, a punch with a fist or a keystroke would feel really good. We want to push back. But that's not the example of Jesus. Jesus used his gifts to heal and restore and save, even in the midst of and actually through his suffering. He used that as an opportunity to bless, to heal, to restore, to save. For us, even in our suffering and anxiety, we prioritize following the example of Jesus. Jesus is still our example in all things, including how we move through suffering and anxiety. Moreover, when we are anxious, we tend to get very focused on our self on what is going on and specifically what is going wrong in our lives. That's why we're anxious. Something is not going the way we want it to. Something feels outside of our control and we get zeroed in on that thing. And uh, I don't know about you, well, side note, this doesn't particularly matter for this, but my uh, least favorite household chore is pulling weeds, like by miles. I will scrub toilets all day long. I'll clean up the kids puke. Don't make me pull weeds. I don't like it. Because I start pulling weeds and all of a sudden there's a thousand more that I hadn't noticed before that are now, because now I'm down there, I see all, anxiety tends to work the same way. We have the thing that we are stressed about and then we start zeroing in on that and all of a sudden there's a thousand little things that didn't really seem to bother us before, but now they go on the list of all the things that are going wrong and all the reasons I have to justify being upset or worried or hurt. We get focused on ourselves and what's going on in our lives and paying attention to the gifts that God has given us does at least two things. One, it turns our eyes from what we don't have, from what we feel is being withheld from us to what we do have and what has been given to us. And we have gratitude for God's gifts to us that in the midst of our suffering and anxiety, we would choose to prioritize gratitude for God's gifts for us. And then we can use those gifts to attend to the needs of others. That God's gifts allow us to prioritize blessing others with those gifts. 
blessing others out of our self-focus. And this is not only biblical, as, as Peter calls us to uh, love one another, to bless the world around us, even without the Bible saying so, modern psychology would agree with this, that as we take the focus off of ourselves and we choose against our better desires to self-protect and retaliate, we choose to bless other people. It draws us out of our self-focus. Beyond that, it builds up and encourages the body of believers as we bless one another. And then here's a biggie. When we bless our neighbors, when we bless the world around us, it communicates to the world the love of God, even in the midst of our suffering and anxiety, which is exactly what Jesus did. That in the midst of his suffering, through his greatest suffering, he communicated the love of God for all of us. It's interesting to me that there is a sheen on our modern Christianity and how we experience it, at least in our country, that it does feel like being a Christian should mean that I don't have to suffer. I am not the only one who whether we believe it or not, seems to behave like, I believe if God really cared about me, he would make sure that life wasn't hard. It's interesting to me that if we turn internal, we've been taught perhaps that being a Christian means that I should never feel anxious. And Jesus does say, hey, look, don't worry if God can take care of the birds and the flowers, he can take care of you, and that is absolutely true. But somewhere along the line, we've decided that what that means for us is we're gonna say, nope, because I'm a Christian, that anxiety that I feel, I'm just not gonna feel it. I'm gonna ignore it. I'm gonna pretend it is not there. By the time you're aware enough of your anxiety to say, I'm not going to feel that, you're already feeling it. It's already there. So please, in this, don't hear that we pretend anxiety doesn't exist or you pretend you don't feel it. The night before Jesus's greatest physical suffering on this earth, we read about him looking for, hoping for, asking for any other way to complete his mission other than the suffering that was before him. And that he was so worked up about it, I would say so anxious about it, the scripture says he was sweating blood because he is so worked up. Jesus felt fear and anger and anxiety. It is not a sin to feel those things. It is not a betrayal of God to feel those things. The question is, how do we respond to our anxieties and our suffering? How do we follow the example that Jesus laid out and love our neighbors in the midst of our anxiety? and suffering. Let's touch down on the last verse of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you and he will never fail you. Peter wants us to remember that God is trustworthy. 
Remember, Peter is leading us to this truth, leading us toward his ask of us that we would give our cares to God. And this verse is the basis for that statement, that God is trustworthy, that you can bring your cares, your sufferings and anxieties to God because he is the one who can take them on without fail. We remember that God is trustworthy. He can absorb our anxieties in his peace like he absorbed our sins in his suffering. More information, more gossip won't absorb your anxiety. It will simply increase it. And we know that. That's our experience. That's what our life tells us. Other people can absolutely help carry the burden. And we are called to do that for one another. And what feels so heavy to you because it is so personal and so intimate and so in your face may not feel nearly so heavy to the people around you. And they would love to help you carry that burden, that weight, that anxiety. But other people can't make it go away and other people will occasionally let you down. So we give our cares to the one that we can trust to take them on and absorb them in his peace. Now, at this point, we'll stop bumping along. We have hit our runway as Peter begins to give his end of letter advice. So we'll move to the next verse. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. If you are not, if you think that doesn't apply to you, stay with me for a second. Keep listening. I too, Peter says, am an elder and a witness in the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown. Did I go too far? There we go. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Now, Peter is writing to the leadership of the church. But I'm going to expand this beyond that, and I think completely appropriately for the truth written here. Some of you... Some of you have some gifts of wisdom and character because you have seen some things and you've been through some stuff and you have people in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood. If you look around this room, people that God has put in your care, in your span of care, in in your life, I want you to look around either in this room, at the people in your life. We need your hard-learned wisdom. We need the stories of your successes and of your mistakes. The people around you, the people that God has placed in your life need the gift of your wisdom. And I know 
that some of you who would go, okay, fine, I suppose I fit in an elder-ish category, say, well, I'm not gonna just insert myself in some young person's life. Besides, I don't know whatever. I don't know the things that interest them. I don't understand what's cool. I, I don't know how the technology works. Look, the young people in your life don't care if you know how TikTok works. They know how TikTok works. What they don't know is how to make a marriage work. What they don't know is how to parent in a way that they and their kids live through it. <laughs> what they don't know is how to persevere through the stresses that inevitably come with life. What they don't know is how to continue to be generous when the economy takes a downturn, like it looks like it's about to. We need the wisdom and lessons that you have learned. And while I hope the generations coming up behind you will be smart enough to ask, and I'll talk to them in a second, we're not always. Please insert yourself where you feel like your wisdom may not be wanted, you would be amazed what we will remember decades later. And you actually know this because there is stuff that people told you 30, 40, 50 years ago that still sticks in your head, whether you asked for it or not. <laughs> we need you to shepherd us through whatever is coming because we haven't seen it and you have. Now, Peter does say, don't lord it over those who are coming up after you. We don't need to know how much better it was 30 years ago or how much harder your life was 30 years ago. What we need to know is the things that God has taught you about perseverance and patience and love and grace. Please share your wisdom. Peter continues in verse five. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. I'm talking to y'all in the balcony. Must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Years ago, I found myself in a leadership position where I was way in over my head, way in over my head. And I called a veteran leader who was in a similar position to what I was in. And I said, hey, I'm looking at the situation that's in front of me and the problems that we're trying to solve. And I'm kind of seeing it this way. Is, is that how you see it? Like, am I totally off here? And he goes, no, that's not how I see it. But you're fine. You're just too young to know any better. Um, insulting, but super helpful, actually. It was really, really freeing to go, oh, so it's not that I'm incompetent, I just haven't learned it yet. That is much better, actually. That's good to know. We uh, live in a world that has taught us that uh, younger is cooler, that technology knowledge is better than wisdom, and somehow, 
the people who are younger and coming up have to have all the answers and have to have it right, right now. So a couple of things to those of you who are on the younger side of things. Excellent, thank you for waving. I'm glad you're paying attention. (laughs) Two things. One, please don't buy the lie that you have to have it all figured out right now. The smartest people in the world are the people smart enough to ask for help. Two, you have perspective and ideas that we don't have. You have a knowledge of how to reach your neighborhood, of how the world is different now than it was 5, 25, or 50 years ago, and we need to know. We need you to speak up. We may not always be really great at listening, but we're working on it. And in the same way, that we need those who are older to insert their hard-fought, hard-learned wisdom. We need those who are younger to insert their new ideas and keep pushing us until we get it right. Now, a lot of us are somewhere smack in the middle. And I don't know how you define yourself that way, but that's fine. We've got generations coming up behind us, and we have generations ahead of us. We've seen some things, but there's a lot that we haven't seen. God has put you in a context, whatever your context is, where there are generations coming up behind you who can learn from the lessons that you learned the hard way or the right way. And there are people in your life ahead of you on this journey that you can learn from and ask questions of. Use the hard-taught wisdom of God in your life and keep asking the questions of those ahead of you. It's an incredible opportunity for those of us in the middle. Don't miss either opportunity. Now, I do know, because I've heard it and occasionally felt it, that many of us who have generations coming up behind us Uh, puffed up by the world's assertion that they have all the answers that we need, would like the coming up generations to maybe learn a little humility along the way. Peter inserts humility here, but I would like to point out that while he does it right after talking about the younger generations, he says, oh yeah, and all y'all, Like somehow he knew he'd instruct the elders, we'd get to the younger ones and we'd go, well, I hope he's gonna talk about humility. And he goes, okay, all of you, dress yourselves in humility. And it is this humility that finally positions us to receive this truth and give our cares to God. Verse six, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Humility is the prerequisite for giving our cares to God. Humility is the prerequisite for giving our cares to God. 
in order to cast off our cares, in order to give God our anxieties and worries and have them absorbed in his peace, we have to believe that the power of God is mightier than our own power. And as we sit here in church, we go, well, yeah, of course. But like on Tuesday morning, when you're looking at the day ahead of you, when you're struggling through what to do with your adult child and how to make that situation work, when you're facing the everyday cares of life, we have to believe that the power of a mighty God is mightier than our own. I have to believe that God knows better and can do better than I can. To believe that the God who made the universe might have a better perspective or more wisdom than I do. Again, that sounds obvious. But as we're following Jesus every day to remember the might and the wisdom and the perspective of God. And Peter wants us to know that we are safe to come to God humbly. To not have to power up to come to God. To not have to come to God fawning and hoping that he won't zap us. But that we are safe to come humbly to God because we can trust him. We remember that God is trustworthy and we can trust him to lift us up at the right time. So here's what I really want you to know and to take away today. If you take away nothing else, I want you to take this away. Our church leadership does. I believe Peter wants you to take this with you into your week. God really cares about you. God really cares about you. Now, if you have trouble accepting that for you, I'm right there with you. Speaking out because I know it's true. It's true for all of us. God really cares about you. Not because he has to, but because he loves you. Not because he bought you, though he did, but because he made you. God really cares about you. Now your cares will not be ignored. They'll refuse. They'll keep cropping up like weeds in your brain. But they can be scooped up and handled and handed to the God of the universe. Your cares will not be dissolved by better anticipation, by the correct election, by more information. Your worries and anxieties and sufferings and cares and desires are absorbed by the peace of God. You can trust him to lead you every day. You can give all your worries and cares to God because he cares. He really cares about you. Next week, we're gonna talk about how we build up that kind of relationship with God. But for today, for this week, I wanna pray for us. Father God, 
thank you for your care. We thank you that you really do care, that you really are trustworthy. Thank you for the example of Jesus for us to follow, to know that it is possible to go through hard things and still love well. Jesus, thank you for being our example. Thank you for suffering on our behalf. Thank you for loving us in the midst of your anxiety and suffering. Jesus, thank you for sending Holy Spirit to be your presence with us. Spirit, would you remind us that our God is trustworthy? Would you remind us that we are really loved? Thank you for being with us as we go through, as we journey through hard things. Would you give us the power and the wisdom to follow Jesus every day? Lord God, thank you that you are so good. We worship you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.